If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah to chapter 14. We finished up last time talking about, remember, do not break your covenant with us, and that God does not break his covenants. If a covenant gets broken, who broke it? The people did. We did. God would never do that. And you guys told me correctly. Psalm 89 verse 34 which says my covenant I will not break. Or alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So let me ask this as a way of introduction to verse 22. What if God now says hey I'm going to break my covenant. I don't care what the Bible says. Then he wouldn't be God would he? God cannot lie. Is that what the scripture says? God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does Psalm 119 verse 89 say, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven? So then why does Jeremiah remind God not to break his covenant? I think it's more of a plea on the part of Jeremiah. You think it's more of a plea on the part of Jeremiah? You're absolutely right. Many of the prophets reminded God that you made this promise. And it's not that they're afraid that he will forget, but it's to remind the people that God does not lie, God doesn't change, God doesn't break his word. So we come into verse 22. It's to contrast God, who is absolutely trustworthy, to the idols of the pagan nations whose word is worth what? Nothing. Nothing, because they don't have any words. <laughs> they have mouths, but they do not speak. Remember, we just read that over and over again this past week during Hanukkah, didn't we? Verse 22 says, Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Let me think. Uh, no. No. And yet, the northern kingdom of Israel, when God would provide bountiful crops, would bring sacrifices of those crops to Baal and Ishtar to thank them for the rain and the crops. How do you think that made God feel? I'm just glad I was they didn't have me for God because I slapped him stupid. <laughs> you slapped him stupid? Well, he did slap him all the way across the world and they haven't come back yet. He slapped him so hard. Well, think Good about for him. When the contest of, between Baal and Elijah the prophet, it happened during a three-year drought. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it was a three-year drought when Elijah the prophet went up to the Mukhraka in the Mount Carmel area and took on how many prophets of Baal? About 400. And he said, you guys, you pray first. Have your God send down fire. Do something spectacular. <laughs> Ask him what's going on. And then it doesn't come across in our English, but Elijah finally gets down and says, well, you need to pray harder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> they were really being insulted. And what did their God do when they cut themselves and cried and jumped? Nothing. Then Elijah, if you don't realize it, really made fun of them. When you're standing up at the Mukraka where it happened, and you look way off in the distance, way down the mountain and across a long stretch of plain, there's a little creek. That's where Elijah sent the prophets of Baal to go get barrels of water. And haul them all the way up the mountain. 
and send it back to get more and more. And had him dump all that water across his altar and his sacrifice. And then what did God say? Elijah said, here it is, God. God just lit the fire. He didn't have to say anything. And it not only burned up the sacrifice in the altar, but it burned up the very stones and lapped up the water. And then what did Elijah say to the people? He said, put your necks on this stone. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was the 400, se- um, turn on them 400 prophets of Baal that he killed. But he told the people, now you know who God is, Right? So did the people repent and turn back to God? No. The answer is no. So verse 22. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? What does that mean? It means if God does not tell them to, does the rain just naturally fall on its own? Or is the rain under God's control? The rain is under God's control. And it says, Are you not he, O Lord, our God? Therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. Who's the we that he's talking about? Because the people just never listen to him. But notice verse 17. Therefore you shall say this word to them. So Jeremiah is preaching to the people. And the people aren't responding. They should be going, Amen, brother. Yes, we're going to do it. So the question that comes up out of verse 22 for me is are the people exercising faith in God or are they not? Turning their backs on him. They're turning their backs on him. Again, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 15 and ask, what is faith? Because I think the very word faith has a different meaning in the church today than it has in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 15, when it says in verse 6, And he, that is Avram, who later became Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he accounted him for righteousness. What is that word believed in Hebrew? It is ha-amin. Ha-amin, which means God said it and I believe it. In the case of Avram here, what had God promised him? Descendants as numerous, the stars in the heavens. And Abraham says, okay, you said it, I believe it. That's it. Did Abraham go back and go, gee, I wonder if God was lying to me? Certainly not. He knew that because God said it, it would never change. It would come to pass. So what is the word there in Hebrew for faith? It's imunah, which comes from what root? The very same word, right? The very same root. Faith is believing that God will do what God has said. Turn to... 2 Timothy, and see what Paul is trying to get Timothy and us to understand. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You guys know these words well, but I want everybody to think about it because it's important. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. When Paul uses the phrase, the Holy Scriptures, is he talking about the 1611 King James Version of the Bible? He is not. What were the Holy Scriptures to Paul? The Tanakh, which includes the Torah, but also the prophets and the writings. When Messiah talked about the Scriptures, what did he mean? He meant what you and I call the Old Testament. Why didn't he mean the New Testament? It hadn't been written yet. When Paul writes 2 Timothy chapter 3, is there a New Testament that he can quote from? The answer is no. The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. I heard just this week a Jewish believer say, I came to faith in Jesus before I ever saw a New Testament. And I said, how is that possible? He said, did you not know that Yeshua is all over the Old Testament? And the preacher asking a question said, no, I didn't know that. Paul says to Timothy, the scriptures that you and I call the Old Testament are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. Messiah is all throughout the scriptures. But then we get to verse 16. So keep in mind what he means by scripture when he says all scripture. Or better in English, every scripture is given by inspiration of God. That just dilutes the whole meaning. What is it? Theonuptos. God breathed. Meaning scripture is what came out of the mouth of God that got written down on the pages for you and I to study later. So which of those words that God spoke, which of those commandments that he spoke, is Paul talking about here? All of them. All of them. Every one. And what is every scripture, every word that came out of the mouth of God good for? Profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? It's what you use to teach. In Matthew 15 and Mark 7, Messiah said, your, your doctrine if it's based on the commandments of men, it's worth what? Nothing. It's in vain that you worship me, teaching his commandments the doctrines of men, or teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Use them interchangeably. So doctrine are the commandments that we follow. Paul tells Timothy, which of God's commandments should we follow? All of them. For reproof, what is reproof? When you're doing something wrong, the scripture tells you what to turn from and what to turn to, how to do it right. Kind of like a whooping a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. The next word is correction. Reproof and correction are very close together. Reproof is you're doing it wrong. Correction is now here's how to do it right. People say, well, you're not supposed to judge. That means you're not supposed to use your standards to judge people. When you use God's commandments and say you're breaking the commandments of God, that is reproof and correction. It's not judging. 
and for instruction in righteousness. That's what the word Torah really means. It's instruction in righteousness. The next word is that. What does that mean? Here's the application. Here's why it's important, right? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you turn away from God's instruction, you turn away from God's commandments, are you going to do good works that please him? No, you can't. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't believe what he says... It's impossible to please him. I had an example that I saw on YouTube this week that caused me to just shake my head. It was, it was a group of theologians discussing why there's not a pre-tribulation rapture. And a guy leading the discussion said, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, but if there is one, I'm going. And I say, you tell God there isn't one, but you think you're going to get the benefit of it? I don't know. I wouldn't be quite so sure. He may not be at the bus stop waiting on the bus <laughs> if he doesn't leave it. Yeah, he may not be waiting on Okay. Where does Paul get this concept? What did Messiah say? Remember, Paul learned his theology from Messiah. He studied at the foot of Gamaliel, but it was Messiah who taught him the doctrines. Matthew 4.4. 4. 4. Go back to Matthew 4. That's exactly right, Daniel. What's that? Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does every word that proceeds from the mouth of God mean? That's the same as what Paul calls scripture. That is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So if you just ignore everything else, look only at those two scriptures, which commandments of God should you throw out? None. None. And if you look at Luke 24, Luke, Messiah, Messiah himself says, starting in verse 44. So Luke 24, 44. Let me find you, let you find the places. It says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled. That's plurao, right? Which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So Hebrew parallelism. What are the scriptures? The law, the prophets, and the writings. What you and I might call the Old Testament. But you know what? They weren't originally called the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was, called scripture. it was called the Scriptures. Who was it that caused them to start calling one the Old Testament and the other the New Testament? And why? I'm thinking it's got to be the Pope, but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're not very far off. 
But the point is, it wasn't done by the apostles. It wasn't done in the first century or the second century. It was done to try and get people to stop reading and trying to follow what they call the Old Testament. Because that's not for us. What portion of the Bible did Messiah say was for us? All of it. That they might understand the scriptures. Which portion did Paul say we should follow? All of it. Another good place to go in Luke is in Luke chapter 6. Even if the top of my page says Luke chapter 7. <laughs> but it really is Luke chapter 6. Yeah. Verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Ties right back to what we're reading in Jeremiah. They're giving God lip service in chapter 14. They're honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Is that the same thing Messiah accused the scribes and Pharisees of in Mark 7 and Matthew 15? Is it the same thing people are going to hear in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, come judgment day? Yeah. This verse in Luke 6.46 is the, the way Luke records what Messiah said in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. He just shortens it down. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and keep your finger in Luke and let's compare them. Matthew chapter 7. Yep, verses 21 to 23. God bless you. God bless you. Are summarized in the book of Luke in chapter 6, verse 46. So Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. That's when judgment day is. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, anomia, that which is contrary to the Torah, to the law. And then again, Luke 6, 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Oh, well, let's go back to Jeremiah Yes, ma'am. Before we go back. Over there at Matthew. Matthew. Cam and Matthew. 7 and 22. 7 22. At the very bottom it says, I, I never knew you. Or is God saying, if you've done these things, he doesn't know you? No, God's saying, if you will not keep his commandments, he never knew you. So verse 22 are things that are not commanded. They're things that doctrinally people say, we should be doing these things. So the doctrine is based not on God's commandments, but on what they think we ought to do instead. So this is the same, essentially, as Matthew 15 and Mark 7. 
People honor me with their lips. They call me Lord, Lord. But they don't do what I say. They do what they want to do instead. Yes, Daniel? And I think the Old Testament underpinning to that would be... The Old Testament underpinning to that would be... Ezekiel 18.24. Let's go back and look at Ezekiel 18.24. Well, the Wayne Law returning, uh, two witnesses uh, that testify against us are Matthew 24.35. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Yes, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 says, in Messiah's own words, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity. What's another word for iniquity? Lawlessness. And does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? How many people today want to put yes in the blank? Well, of course he will. But the answer here is no. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed, because of them he shall die. And does that just mean life in this world? No. So let's go back to Jeremiah. Chapter 15. Start a whole new chapter. Then. I didn't look, but it's not then, is it? It's probably just and. It's just and. What's the difference between then and and? Then implies a sequence of events, right? One thing happens before another. And, just as the way most Hebrew sentences start, don't they? Most in the Bible start with the word and. And the Lord said to me, even if, but notice even's in italics, so it's not there in the original Hebrew. So if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. But why does it say, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people? What did Moses and Samuel do? Interceded for people. Interceded for people, but... It's different from this situation. Why? Because those people were, to a certain extent, willing to repent. Exactly. Both Moses and Samuel chastised the people for their sin and called for them to repent, then interceded with God. Jeremiah, he can't get the people to listen. Why? There's no repentance, but why? They don't want to? They like their sins? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've heard that so many times, but I look around and I'm thinking, what do they like? I mean, I don't see them doing a whole, you know, I'm just talking about family and friends who won't turn to God, but yet I don't see what's in their life that they're wanting to hold on to and won't let go of to grab a hold of God. Yeah. It makes no logical sense. I agree with you. But what has Satan been trying to do from the very beginning at the Garden of Eden? God said, thou shalt eat from the tree, so he said what? Eat from the tree. 
eat from the tree. Whatever God tells us to do, he wants us not to do it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What is truth? That's Torah, Psalm 119, verse 142. You've heard of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? What's happened before will happen again. Back in the days of Jeremiah, they had all these false prophets telling them that they don't need to repent, that God will love them and bless them even if they continue to walk in their sins. The, the biggest thing today... The biggest thing today, you say? Is that... People do not want to give up their independence. Is that people do not want to give up their independence? They simply want to make their own decisions. They don't want anyone telling them what to do, including... They want to make their own decisions. They don't want anyone telling them what to do, including... God. God. It it means, to, to me, it means that... There's no life and death situations going on. People are just stubborn and, and deciding I am my own God and so you don't need to tell me this I'm not going to do it you don't need to tell me that I'm not going to do it I'm going to do what I want to do yeah. it's no bigger issue than that it's not gee I just can't give up drinking gee I just can't give up but you can't tell me what to do Yeah, I yep. simply can't give up my yep. autonomy and let you tell me or anybody else God included Yep, that's right. Remember in Jeremiah 14, we came across the verse that said, do not pray for them. And it was the third time God had told Jeremiah, do not pray for them. That's why in verse 15, he says, even if Moses and Samuel came and pleaded for this people, it wouldn't change my mind. He says, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Yes, sir. Yeah, my nephish. Um, my, my innermost being. My innermost being, yes. This is an anthropomorphism. We're treating God like he's a human being in a human flesh and blood body like ours. But the Hebrew doesn't actually say that. It says his innermost um, intentions are to carry out the judgment from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Where God said, if you turn away from me, you're going into captivity. And he's told Jeremiah, they're going. There's nothing that's going to change my mind unless they repented. But they're not going to do that. Just another example of a very light translation. You use that word very charitably. Like God troubled the wheels of the chariots, yep, when Pharaoh's army tried to ride through the waters of the, yep, Red Sea. In Hebrew, it's actually Yom Suf. It's not red, it's Sea of Reeds. But, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Go forth to where? Captivity. Or, if they won't go into captivity, death. 
you realize that people have a choice. God said, go into captivity. And when the people go, no, I'm not going and you can't make me. He says, well, then you choose death. If I was there, I might have said, gee, well, let me think about this a minute. But no, they said, no, uh-uh. Those false prophets say it won't happen. So verse 2. I'm so glad we don't have false prophets today. Yeah, me too. Verse 2, and it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go? You shall say, then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord. Such as are for death to death. Such as are for the sword to the sword. Such as are for the famine to the famine. And such as for the captivity to the captivity. So each one has a determined outcome. Some are going to starve in the siege. Because when Babylon put its army around Jerusalem, they can't go out into the fields of people can't to get food. So some are going to starve to death. Some are going to be killed by the sword, that is by weapons of war. And some are going to go into captivity. Which ones will go into captivity? Those that listen to the Lord. They repent, they decide, I made a bad choice, it's time for me to do better. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses asked the Lord on Mount Sinai, what is your name that I should tell the people? God said to Moses, I will be whom I will be. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I will be has sent me to you. There are so many doctrines built around I am. When he didn't even say I am. He said I will be whom I will be. Which means God will be to you as you are to him. For those that repented and said God told me to go into captivity. I'm going into captivity. He let them live and they went into captivity. In fact many of them came, became so prosperous and comfortable that it was time that they could go back to the land of Israel. They didn't want to. Most stayed in Babylon, if you can believe it. But for those who said, no, God cannot tell me what to do. I will not listen. Well, then they chose death, and that's what they got. In verse 3 of Jeremiah 15. Oh, my and I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord. I call them four families of destruction. The sword to slay, so that's number one. That's being killed by the Babylonian army. The dogs to drag. Got to think for a moment. If the people in the city of Jerusalem have no food, what are they feeding the dogs? 
Yep, some of the people are going to get eaten by the dogs. Can you think of anybody famous in history that got eaten by the dogs? Jezebel, yep. The third of the families are the birds of the heavens. The birds of the heavens come and devour people at two different battles in the tribulation period. Which are they? Gog and Magog and Armageddon. Let's go back to Ezekiel and see what Ezekiel 38 and 39, especially chapter 39, has to say about the birds. Verse 17, Ezekiel 39, verse 17. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. So that brings in the dogs and the birds, right? Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal which I'm sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs and goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat to your full and drink blood to your drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I'm sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, with all the men of war, says the Lord God. What do those verses together mean? That there's going to be such a great slaughter, there's not enough people left to bury them. And that's why they're left for the animals of the field and the birds of the air. And then for the battle of Armageddon, let's go to Revelation 19. Jewish theologians consider the Battle of Gog and Magog to be what the Christian theologians call Armageddon. But when we study the book of Zechariah tomorrow, we're going to have to compare and see if that's so or not. But in Revelation chapter 19, we have the Battle of Armageddon. And in verse 21, it says, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Notice no mention of the animals in this. Just the birds. I hate them too. <laughs> okay. So back to Jeremiah 15. We didn't finish verse 3. There's one more family yet. We had the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. So the fourth was the beasts of the earth. And verse 4 says, I will hand them over to trouble. To all kingdoms of the earth, because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Who was the most wicked king in all of Israel's history? 
Yeah, most people think it must have been Ahab, but it wasn't. It was Manasseh. What did he do? There's a whole chapter. It's Second Kings chapter 21. Let's go back and read it. Ahab repented at some point, did he not? Well, not real well. <laughs> you might say for a little while. Until Jezebel got a hold of him again. Yeah, it was right after the contest between Elijah and the priests of Baal that Ahab saw the light for a minute and then Jezebel closed his eyes again. 2 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Manasseh was the son of who? Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly king. Hezekiah tore down the altars of the pagan gods. He tore down the high places. He destroyed the idols. And let's see what happens as soon as he's dead. 2 Kings 21 verse 1. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Anybody think that might play a role in this? And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. How many remembers what God said twice in Deuteronomy 12? Don't do what they do. Don't do what they did for their gods and use it to worship me. And what did he do? As soon as he becomes king, he says, oh, let's find out what all the nations do. Let's be like them. Verse 3, for he rebuilt the high places. What's a high place? Pagan worship. Which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He didn't just allow people to rebuild them. He had them rebuilt. He raised up altars for Baal or Baal. Who brought Baal worship into Israel? Jezebel. Jezebel. Question. Yes, ma'am. They gave us the name of the mother. What history do we know? I mean, the father was a good man, but the mother, where, what, apparently. She I know her name was Hephzibah. That's yeah, about it. That's all they say, but apparently the mother must have played a really ugly role. Yep, she must have. And made a wooden image. What do I mean by a wooden image? An idol. An Asherah pole, otherwise known today as a Christmas tree. Yep. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and he worshipped all the host of heaven. What does he mean by the host of heaven? Stars. Yeah, the sun, moon, and stars. The sun god and the moon god were the primary deities, but they worshipped all of the stars and served them. What does it mean he served them? Does that mean he brought them food on a tray so they could eat? No. That means that he did the works of those pagan gods as taught by the pagan priests and priestesses rather than following the word of God. So the word of God he turns his back on and says instead we're going to do as the pagans do. The very thing God said not to do. 
And the very thing that Manasseh's father Hezekiah had taken out of Israel. Verse 4, he also built altars in the house of the Lord. Well, weren't they built there to worship God? No. These are pagan altars in God's house. Of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So how many altars? Many. Doesn't say how many. There were so many. And he made his son pass through the fire that is to sacrifice his own child to the pagan gods. What had God said about passing your children through the fire? Don't do it. Practice soothsaying. What's soothsaying? Fortune telling. Ouija boards. Tarot cards. Etc. How about horoscopes in the local newspaper? Is that just for fun? God says don't do it. Used witchcraft. Who's the main power behind witchcraft? Satan. And consulted spiritists and mediums. What caused God to take the life of King Saul? The witch at Endor. He brought up the, the spirit of Samuel. Got the right S word this time. <laughs> he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. The word anger in Hebrew is such a powerful word. It's the word for what? Nose. 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 N-O-S-C. When you see the nose of a horse flaring as he's about to stomp you into the dirt, that's the word picture for anger. Does it mean he's a little unhappy? No, it means somebody's about to get it. He even said a carved image of Asherah. What's another word for Asherah? Ishtar or Easter. Yeah, the Christmas tree comes from the Asherah pole that he had made. In the house of which the Lord has said to David and to Solomon his son. What house is that? The temple. He put an idolatrous carving in the temple to be worshipped. Which the Lord has said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. What's that mean? My name and no other. No one else's. Ain't owed, right. Verse 8, And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers. Dot, dot, dot. Only if. They are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them. And according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. Did he say it's okay if they just pick some? How about 70%? Isn't that pretty good? And he didn't say till Messiah comes and does away with it. But look at that only if. God said, I will not take them out of the land only if. 
And what do they do? They violate the only if. They throw it in his face. What's interesting to note? God kicked Israel out of the land. Forty years out of Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. When the law was supposedly abolished, according to many modern theologians. So if God abolished the law, then that means that this would have gone away and Israel would still be in the land. Correct. If God had abolished the law, Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, God would never send Israel out of the land in the diaspora. Because does God break his word? He does not. Not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. So good point, Daniel. Verse 9, but they paid no attention. What's that mean? They didn't listen. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. The Canaanites, the Amorites, the ites that God cast out of the land because their iniquity was complete and brought Israel into the land. Israel is now not as bad. They're worse. And what does it mean Manasseh seduced them? He wanted them to do it. Did he command it and they had no choice? Nah, that's not what seduced means. He said, oh, look at all the fun you could have. Look at all the sins you could walk in. Look how pleasurable it is. It's like Satan in the Garden of Eden. Satan didn't say, go eat from the tree. He said, oh, look how beautiful the fruit is and how it would make one wise. And then it says in verse 16, which we'll get to shortly, that he spilled much innocent blood from one end of Jerusalem to the other. So it sounds kind of like he, he took the soft approach first, and then those people that were resilient and did not give in to that, that's when he resorted to the bloodshed. Yeah. Plus the child sacrifice. Ugh. Yeah. That's, uh. Verse 9. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord did destroy before the children of Israel. But notice before Manasseh seduced them, first they turned their ear away from God. Do you think he had to work very hard to seduce them? No, No, they turned their ear away from God. They paid no attention. And that made it easy for Manasseh to seduce them. If you stand up to Satan and say, I will follow God's commandments, then he has a much harder time seducing you to go off into sin. Hey, yes, sir. No, this, this scripture right here in verse 9 reminds The scripture right here in verse 9 reminds you of 2 Peter 2. Which is better to have never known the way of righteousness than to turn from it. So, like Manasseh, you know, they, it says they, he did more evil than all the nations before him. Manasseh, it says he did more evil than all the nations before him. Because they were supposed to be, you know, living according to God's standards. So it's like they knew more, so they're held to a higher standard. Because Hezekiah had taught them better, they knew better. To whom much is given, 
much is required. Let's go look at that in Second Peter. Those are words that a lot of theologians wish were not in the Bible. They're not. They took them out. They're still there, whether they want to read them or not. Because I want to look at the verses that precede those. How does man get in such trouble? Second Peter chapter 2. Same reason the people in Jeremiah's day are in the pickle they're in, and the same reason people today are in the pickle they're in. Yeah. Let's start with verse. Starts with first one, really. It really does start with verse one. Okay, if you insist. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, bring on themselves swift destruction. Let's jump up to verse 12. Still talking about the false teachers. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness. What's another term for unrighteousness? Lawlessness. As those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions. While they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. Whatever does it mean they have a heart trained in covetous practices? What do they want from the people? Money. Goods. Besides honor and worship. And back at uh, verse 3. And back at verse 3. It says, by covetousness they will exploit you with by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They will trick you into giving them your money. But, but then, uh, isn't that playing on the covetousness of the individual's heart, their vain imaginations? Sometimes. And, and wicked desires. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, how many prosperity preachers have preached, the more you send me, the more God's going to put in your pocket? Yeah, yeah. Send me more and more and more, and God's going to bless you more and more. Uh, yeah, let's see how that goes. Paying tithes has been a great door opener for me with people who attend, you know, basic church services. And then I just ask them, do you pay tithes? Oh, yes, faithfully. I said, do you know you're not supposed to? And that their eyes get that big and their ears start to listen. They yep. want to know why. Yeah. But back to 2 Peter 2. Because we haven't gotten to the verses that brought us here. Verse 15. They, the false teachers, have forsaken the right way. What's the right way? God's way. In verse 2, the way of truth, the way of Torah. They've turned away from God's commandments because of their covetousness. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam 
wanted to curse the children of Israel because he wanted the money that King Balak had promised. So even though God said, you can't curse what I have blessed, he wanted to find a way because he wanted that money. Shame the scripture doesn't say you can't serve God and mammon. But it does, yep. Verse 16, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These, again, the false teachers, are wells without water. Referring to what? John chapter 7. What's that living water a picture of? The Holy Spirit. So are these false teachers leading people to salvation? Peter says no. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's a sobering thought. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, that is, those who came to God by faith, they're turning back away from God. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. That reminds me of Romans 6.16, the one that you obey, that's the one you really serve. Verse 24, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Yes, some. Um, what's that? Pollutions. Yeah. Is this about the the global warming? No. Okay. Verse twenty one. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. That verse says many great things. The first thing you've got to notice is, what is the way of righteousness? It's the holy commandment. Following God's commandments is the way of righteousness. The opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed who are wallowing in the mire. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. What's he trying to get him to do? To repent and stay on the way of righteousness. Don't let false teachers lead you away from the way of righteousness. And if it wasn't possible to turn from the way of righteousness, why is he spending so much time? I wouldn't say harping on it, but explaining it deeply. How about that? Same thing. Okay. He is strongly encouraging them not to turn. That's right. So we were in 2 Kings chapter 21, and you kept a finger there, right? Yeah, sure. Verse 10. 
And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying. So the Lord saying, these are the words I gave my prophets. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations. He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. And he has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. Meaning what happened is Samaria and Ahab is going to happen again. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. What's he talking about? How many of you, when you wash dishes, get the dish halfway clean and say, well, that's good enough? You don't, do you? We've got to have a talk later, Missy. For I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. What did Manasseh do to God's true prophets? Put him to death. They say he's the one that put Isaiah into a log and had the log sawn in half. Yep. He was not a nice guy. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 15. We're up to verse 5. Are we back? For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? God's point is, not those idols. The idols aren't going to pity you. They aren't going to bemoan you. And they aren't going to ask how you're doing. You know why? Because they have mouths, but they don't speak. Which psalm is that in? How many of you read Psalm 113 to 118 every day during Hanukkah? Let's go back and take a look. Psalm 113 to 118. They're called the Hallel. They read all, every one of the pilgrim festivals. And look at Psalm 115. Start in verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. So why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. 
feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. What's God trying to say? You're worshiping a stick, or a rock, or a piece of metal that's been fashioned by a workman's hammer. How many of you believe that if I talk real hard to this pencil here in front of me, it's going to answer me? <laughs> no. None of you, right? It's not going to. Let's go back to Jeremiah Where'd chapter 15. What's that? Where'd you get your mushrooms? Where? <laughs> Let's not talk about Okinawa. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 15, we're up to verse 6. You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You've done what? You have forsaken me. That means you've turned your back on me. How does God decide that you have forsaken him? Go to the next chapter and you'll see. When you stop following God's commandments, God says you have forsaken him. Yes, Melanie. Every time you read what they did. You keep wondering, if you were there, would you have done the same thing or would you have been a preacher of righteousness? There's always a remnant. So what we need to be grateful for is we didn't live back then, we live now. And we have the scriptures and we study them. What is it saying in the New Testament we're supposed to do from the old? Learn from it. Does that mean so we can make the same mistakes? No, quite the opposite. So that word for forsaken here is Natash. Natash. Everybody remembers the old Bullwinkle and Rocky cartoons, right? Natash is the evil, evil one. Yeah. The word Natash means abandoned or pushed away. It doesn't mean an accidental forgot. It's a literal pushed away. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. Another example of that very light translation. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun, that's talking about the righteous in Jerusalem, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you're obese. Then he forsook God who made him. That word forsook is the same word. And you see the emotion that's tied up in it. Then he forsook God who made him. That's a choice. A determined choice. And scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. You see that word scornfully? That's giving you a flavor of the attitude that's going on here. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17.
I was really shocked when I learned that one of the reasons they did the 1611 King James Version was because they were so upset that Easter didn't appear in the 1599 Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible translated it properly as Passover. So they did the King James Version just, what, 12 years later to make sure they got Easter in there so they could say, see, see, Easter's in the Bible. Yeah. First Samuel chapter 17 verse 22. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Which word there would be Natash? Left his supplies. He didn't drop them. He gave them to the storekeeper and left them there. And that's what God is saying you did to me. You ran away and you left me here. And then in 2 Kings chapter 21, probably. 2 Kings chapter 21. Verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 14. Here they translated the word is forsake, but it's on the other shoe. The shoe's on the other foot now. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Because. What does the because mean? Here's the reason. Here's why. Because they have done evil in my sight. And have provoked me to anger. Since the day their fathers came out of Egypt. Even to this day. Oh boy. But where do we have to go to understand these verses best. Hebrews chapter 3. Keep a finger here or don't, your choice. And go to Hebrews chapter 3. Did you notice God keeps saying, from the days we were in the desert together till now? That's not the first time we read that tonight. So Hebrews chapter 3. Starting in verse 17. Now with whom was he, meaning God, angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Those who sinned, those who did not obey, that's the same thing, right? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. A lot of people read that and say, I don't understand what belief or faith has to do with obedience. 
what this verse is telling us very specifically is if you do not obey God's commandments it's because you lack faith. That's what these verses say. The cause of the disobedience was unbelief and unbelief means a lack of faith. These verses tell us that disobedience, failure to obey God's commandments, it was caused by unbelief. Another way to say unbelief is lack of faith. They both come from that same Hebrew word that in Genesis 15, 6 was ha'amin. And when it's used as the word faith, it's imunah, E-M-U-N-A-H, imunah. They come from the same word. Yes, sir. That word in Greek is apistia. That word in Greek is apistia. Which means literally without faith. Which means literally without faith. Uh-huh. So, I mean, like, it's, it's just looking at it from two different... Looking at it from Hebrew or Greek, either way, it means they were disobedient because they lacked faith. Because if they had faith, that means they believed God meant what he said. Their unbelief said, did God really say? Does God really care? Would God really be upset if we were disobedient children? People get their idea of belief mixed up because of? They think it's a head knowledge and it's not. It's a heart knowledge. Do you believe that God means what he says? If so, when God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you would remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The only reason not to do that is because you don't think God meant what he said. Unfortunately, what people do, they what? They listen to men. They listen to doctrine that says this has all been done away with instead of going back to the scriptures and seeing that Messiah himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then just a chapter later in Matthew chapter 5, he says what? Till heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or the smallest piece of a letter will pass from the commandments of God. Period. All of them people say, oh, but that word fulfilled. We want to give it an English meaning and take all the different words fulfilled in the New Testament and make them mean the same. How many different words for fulfilled are there in the New Testament? At least two. There's at least three. And they don't mean anything like each other. But when they translate it into English as the same word, they make people think they're the same thing. And they are not. Okay. I don't mean to ramble on and on. So let's go back to Jeremiah. So I'm at 55 miles an hour today. I'll never have to do it again. That's exactly the way they're using the word fulfilled. You drove 55, so now I can drive any speed limit I want. The speed limit has been fulfilled. That's not the fulfilled in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It was a big... 
That's a big, you say error. I say calculated slight translation, light translation. Go to Matthew 5. Let's just go to Matthew 5 for a moment. What's that, Doc? Slight mistranslation. Slight mistranslation, yeah. Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Well, he's just said the page before. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I think now in this page, he's going to do away with God's commandments. So they would translate it as, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I came to destroy and to destroy. This word fulfill, plerosai, P-L-E-R-O-S-A-I, plerosai, is the same word, plerosai, P-L-E-R-O-S-A-I, plerosai. From the root word plerao, P-L-E-R-O-O. Emphasis on the uh-o, that's right. It's the same word, the same root, plerao, is used in Matthew 3.15. Let's look at Matthew 3.15. But Yeshua answered and said to him, Permitted to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That means that when Yeshua was baptized, all righteousness ceased. If you give it the meaning they want to give it in verse 17, it's the same word. Not just the same English word, it's the same Greek word. It has the same meaning. When Messiah was baptized, does that mean that none of us need to worry about righteousness anymore? That's what we're, that's what we're taught. He is our righteousness, so we don't have to do it. Yep, that's what we're taught, but is it right? The answer is no. Let's go to Romans chapter 15, which uses the same word. Yep, and how many times does the scripture say, imitate me as I imitate him? Or in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, we should walk as he walked. But Romans chapter 15. Right. Romans 15, 19. Same plurao. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Messiah. Oh my goodness, Paul has abolished the gospel. He fulfilled it and it went away. No one would suggest that. But it's the same word. And then in Matthew 5.18 we have the word fulfilled again, but it's not even related to the fulfilled of verse 17. It says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That word fulfilled is genetai, G-E-N-E-T-A-I. And it means until all prophecy has been fulfilled. Has all prophecy been fulfilled yet? Has Messiah returned? Has he established the kingdom? Has Satan been locked away for a thousand years? Is there a second Gog and Magog? Have there been a new heavens and new earth? The new Jerusalem's come down? The answer is in no way. But when they use the same word fulfilled, it makes you 
think that it's saying that. Plurosai really means I have fully preached. Messiah came not to teach the law wrong like the scribes and the Pharisees did. He came to fully preach it so that we'd understand it. Scribes and Pharisees were saying it's a way of salvation. Messiah came to say, no, it's not a way of salvation. It's instruction in righteousness. And if you look at verse 19, Matthew 5, 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever it does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's absolutely nonsensical if the law was done away with. Right? Great rewards in heaven for doing that which is irrelevant now. Yeah, it makes no sense. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah. Because time will get away from me. You know, I never let that happen. But it does sometimes. Verse 7. Oh, I didn't finish verse 6, I bet. Verse 6 says, You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You've gone backward. Therefore, I didn't get to the therefore. I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. Huh. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget, and forget and forsake get used interchangeably. The Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. It has not been long since I had a Jewish person say, I don't understand Christianity. Because what gets presented to the Jews is, let me tell you how you too can break all of God's commandments and be saved and have his favor, have him love you. And they go, wait a minute. We went into captivity for thousands of years because we didn't keep his commandments. And now you say he doesn't want us to do that anymore? Now if I just say the words, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Now you say he's going to cast me in the lake of fire if I'm obedient to him. Hmm. Does that make sense? Given these words, yeah. So now... Back to Jeremiah 15, verse 7. Oh, the last line of 6 says, I am weary of relenting. God says, I'm weary of giving them more time. Because every time I give them more time, they get worse and worse. They don't get better. They turn farther away from God. They, they walk more in sin. It was right about here that once, probably 20 years ago, I had somebody in my fellowship say, when are you going to teach something that's relevant to us? What should we learn from this lesson? Is turning our backs on God's commandments a good thing or a bad thing? But Wayne, there's nothing in the New Testament that says if we don't follow God's commandments, that's not a good thing. Really? 
Let's go to 1 John 2 for the last time tonight, probably. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4. In fact, let's go all the way through 6. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did Messiah walk? John chapter 15. He kept which part of the commandments of God? The ones he liked? He kept them all. If we're going to walk as he walked, do we keep God's commandments or do we break them? So let's go back to Jeremiah 15, verse 7. And I will winnow them, not widow and not minnow, but I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. This is part of the process of bringing in the wheat. And of course, Messiah likens the bringing in of believers to the kingdom as gathering in the wheat. So you put the wheat on the threshing floor. You have an unmuzzled ox drag a big wooden pole around to break the grains loose from the stalks. And it breaks up the stalks into little pieces. And then the winnowing fork throws it all up in the air. And the grain is heavy and falls back to the threshing floor. The chaff is light and blows away in the wind. So he's saying Israel is like the chaff. It's not the wheat God wanted. It's the chaff which is worthless that the wind will blow across who knows where. Wherever the wind goes. He says, I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Meaning what? They won't repent. Why should they know to repent? Because God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And what do the people keep doing? Putting them to death. Linda asked me tonight, aren't they going to throw Jeremiah in a pit shortly? Answer, yeah, they're going to throw him in a pit shortly. They're going to try and kill him. Because they don't want to hear repent. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And look at since they do not return from their ways. Matthew 3 is the baptism of Messiah, but there's more than that. Matthew 3, I want to begin in verse 7. John the Baptist is at the Jordan River. All of Judea is coming down to the river to be baptized by John as he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are you supposed to do before you're baptized? Repent. repent. 
So here, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, what does he know they have not done? They have not repented. He said to them, brood of vipers. When he calls them brood of vipers, who's he saying their father is? Satan. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What does John mean by flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you to repent? That's how they flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Meaning what? I'm not just uh, picking at them and saying you don't meet my criteria like they tell us we don't? Nope, that's not exactly what he's doing. He's saying here, verse 8, if I'm wrong and you truly are repentant, then show it. Your life will change. Your vocabulary changes. Your life will change. What does Ephesians 4.17 say? You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Your life should change. If it doesn't change, you didn't repent. Or else you were sinless and perfect before. And you weren't. Okay. Verse 9, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What is Jewish theology of today? Jews don't have original sin. Remember it says even in the scripture they say, we're not sinners like the Gentiles. But what does Isaiah 53 say? All we like sheep have gone astray. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Yeah, he's talking about you and me. Yeah. We may be dumb as rocks, but we've come to God by faith. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, which means does not repent and bear fruits of righteousness, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Is that a veiled threat? Nope. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And here's why we came here. His winnowing fan is in his hand. That's the same as we read in Jeremiah. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the wheat talks about those who are saved by faith, walking uprightly before God, and the chaff for those who refuse to repent and continue to walk in unrighteousness or lawlessness. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Some of you know what's coming. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because, he doesn't just tell us to repent, he tells us why. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
So if you hear a theologian today say, don't repent, repentance is a work. Does that agree with or conflict with the Bible? It conflicts with. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. Verse 6. There are many theologians today who will say, well, repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. It just means say Jesus is Lord. What? <laughs> yeah, you never heard that? Yeah, there are. Mm -hmm. Verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So does this tell us that repentance is turning away from our sins and turning back to God? In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30. Uh-oh. These are command forms. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. What's it mean according to his ways? According to his works, whether he's kept my commandments or not. Repent, which is the Hebrew word shuvu. It's a command to everyone. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Can we change that and say repent and turn from some of your transgressions? No. Nope. So that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's saved by faith. That's circumcision of the heart. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. What if they say, no, we won't turn? Then he says, then no live. No turn, no live. Yes, Daniel. There it says, repent and turn. That he feel verb? Right? It means cause yourself to turn. It's a causative. That's what he feel means. It's causative. Some people teach, well, you don't have to do anything. God will turn you away from the sins, and God will make you stop sinning, and God will make you sinless and perfect. Then it wouldn't be a he feel verb. And you know, this lines right up with Acts 26.20. Lines right up with Acts 26.20. Where Paul lays, lays it out exactly the way that Acts 26.20 lays out exactly the way Ezekiel did, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should, number one, repent, number two, turn to God, number three, do works befitting repentance. That's what says to God, I have faith. You commanded it, I believe it, I'm implementing it. 
So look also at Hosea chapter 11, verse 5. Hosea chapter 11, verse 5. What does Hosea mean again? Salvation. Oh my, he's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. It says in verse 5, He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king because they refused to repent. Always consequence. Consequence to sin. And we have run out of time. We will pick up next week, next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah 15, continuing verse 7. Because we have lots more to talk about in verse 7.